someone has got to keep an eye on me. I just cannot be trusted, that's for sure. All right, so we have a lot to cover today, a lot to cover today. So you have to listen quickly because I will try not to talk too fast. You all know I get excited. Prayerfully, I won't. But we're going to do a little bit of review. From last week, our message was titled, uh, Answering to God. That was from Joshua chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. And what we did was we picked back up in that message just after the Israelites' uh, defeat at Ai. Now, they had suffered that defeat because there was a man named Achan. Achan had secretly stolen from God, and because of that, God took his hand off of them, and they had been defeated. And what is happening is God was instructing Joshua to gather those people together so that he could confront them. His whole purpose would be for to be bring forward that hidden sin to reveal what was there. And God told them that he was going to judge that sin by fire. Well, last week in that message, what we did was we broke it up into three different parts. We looked at it from the three different applications of Scripture. The first application is what's called the doctrinal application. Doctrinal application simply means that's the teaching. What does God want us to understand? What's the deep meaning or or instruction in the Scripture? Then there's the historical. Historical is giving us the historical account of what just happened in the course of human events. And then we have the devotional. The devotional is how it applies to our lives. How do we apply what we've heard. And what we did last week in looking at the doctrinal first was we saw, first of all, Jesus or or Joshua is a picture of Jesus. If we go to the Hebrew rendering of the word Jesus or the name Jesus in the Hebrew, it is Joshua. So when we see Joshua, he is a picture of Christ. And we saw here in this application was the fact that Joshua was being told to gather the people together, humanity, for a judgment. And what we saw was the fact that it's actually pointing not just to a day or a morning that he's going to have, But it's also pointing to a day that we're going to have, a day of judgment upon humanity in the second coming of Christ. And we know our Savior has a heart for humanity. And what's going to happen is, unfortunately, at the same time, while God does love us, God's also going to judge humanity. And it says in the Bible, he's going to judge by by fire. Then we looked at it from the historical perspective. And we were amazed at how uh, Joshua, even though telling all that was going to happen, Nathan sits there and listens to all of it, instead of responding, he'd go, man, you know what? I got to get right. I just got to get right. I got to come clean with what's going on in my own heart. He doesn't. He keeps it to himself. He keeps it hidden. And because he keeps it hidden, we look and recognize the fact that, guess what? He is going to be addressed by God directly. God's going to identify him. And we don't know if it was in defiance or just denial, but he didn't, he didn't come forward. And then we think about denial and defiance, which is something that's unfortunately kind of something that's in us. We think about the perspective of the devotional application, the personal application of the Scripture. What do we learn from that aspect of it? We learn that there's that judgment coming, and that's that aspect of accountability that's coming. There is a day coming very soon. And in that biblical account, what it's teaching us is, hey, look, recognize the impact that our lives are to have on the world around us. We're accountable to God for the life that we live, but also the fact that God's saying, hey, look, not only do I want you to take stock of your relationship with me personally, but I also want you to take stock of your service unto me. Because a lot of people, unfortunately, we believe we're serving God, but many times we're in reality serving ourselves many times in the guise of religion. So as we see this aspect of this coming judgment upon humanity and that realization of that urgency coming, this is all sort of establishing where we're going to be. So this morning, we're going to shift from the instructions that were given. Now it's actually playing out. It's actually going to be happening where God is going to be gathering the people. And we'll see the Lord guiding Joshua through this process of elimination that will be all about stripping away the layers of deception in order to expose the guilty. And the message this morning is titled... No more hiding. 
we're going to look at four different points. We're going to look at the judge's arrival. We'll look at a spotlight is narrowed. We'll see the guilty are identified, and we'll see the deception is confronted. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word. And uh, Lord, I know that you have spoken to me through the week. I have prayed and studied and uh, diligently put time in as you've asked me to. And Lord, I'm confident that you've spoken to me. And I would ask now, Lord, that you would speak through me. Uh, The devil has fought this message. And uh, Lord, uh, our desire is to just simply proclaim the truth that it might be heard by the hearts of those that need to hear it. And Lord, if there's one that needs to hear it today, it's me. Uh, Lord, help us today. Help me, Father, to get out of the way. You know I don't want to be an element in this message. I want to disappear, that you would be heard and I would disappear. So please, Lord, take charge of the message and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Joshua chapter 7, we're going to be in verses 16 through 19. It says here, So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah, and he took the family of the Zerites, and he brought the family of the the Zerites, man by man, Zabdi, was taken. And he brought his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. Wow. So in this passage, we see this is the guaranteed judgment coming to fruition. Joshua is gathering the children of Israel before him. He's doing this for the purpose of rooting out this hidden sin that's been plaguing them. Remember, Joshua does not know that it's Achan. He does not know. He just knows that the sin is there. And what he's doing is following through this process. He knows that the sin is what's been dragging them down. The sin is the thing that's been holding them back. And he knows it has to be brought to the surface. It has to be addressed and dealt with before they can move forward forward before they, before they can succeed. And can I promise you that in your Christian life, in your Christian life, if you want to move forward and be successful, yes. you must, you must, you must address sin in your life Amen. in whatever form or fashion it may show itself. Because listen, we will not succeed in this life or in the eyes of God until we deal with it. Remember, God's called us to be holy. Right? That's his instructions to us. First Peter 1, verses 15 and 16 says this, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. The word conversation means the way you live your life. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy, God says. Are you guys with me today? Yes. You guys seem very tired. It's that one hour. Pinch yourself on your inner thigh. Do something. Be with me. Bite your inner cheek. Something. Wake up. So, because I'm telling you, we've got a lot to cover. Okay? So, What's happening here, right? God's got this calling on humanity. That's always been his desire, that he's calling us to righteousness. He's calling us to holiness. Our problem is that we're so preoccupied with our flesh and its desires that we struggle with living a life that is righteous. Why do you think most Christians' relationship with God is like this? It's this never-ending wave of following God, falling away from God over and over and over again. But God's saying, look, I want you to seek to seek holiness. It's that inconsistency. But what we're seeing here ultimately in this, in this uh, passage in Joshua 7, 16 through 19 is a graphic depiction of God's judgment upon sin. And we'll see here the first point, the judge's arrival. Verse 16 says this, So Joshua rose up early in the morning. Now, many people falsely believe that God the Father is the judge of humanity, but the Bible clearly teaches that it is not God the Father, it is God the Son. Jesus tells us in John 5, verse 22 through 23, He says this, For the the Father judgeth no man, 
but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honors not the Son, honors not the Father, which hath sent him. And let me tell you this, when the Lord judges humanity, nothing will escape him. He will see it all. Even the darkest secrets will be brought into the light. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says this, Therefore judges, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. You know what that says? That's saying God's going to see the intentions of your hearts. You may pull it off and fake it to, to people around you, but guess what? God's going to know the true intentions. And it says, And then shall every man have praise of God. And as we saw last week and as we talked about, this is God's coming judgment upon humanity. And we talked about last week, we talked about two judgments. There's actually three. There's another one. That's the sheep and goats, but we're not going to get into that one today. But we're going to talk about the, 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 the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne. And that judgment seat of Christ, that's for believers. You're a child of God, guess what? We'll stand there. And God's going to judge not our sins, but He's going to judge our service, how we lived our lives for Him and for His glory. There's, there's that great white throne. The great white throne is for the lost world. It's for anyone who does not know Christ. If you rejected the Savior, you're going to stand there and you will be judged for your sin. Not only are you going to face a judgment, but God's going to also show you, man, you know what? How many times did I try to reach you? How many times did I offer redemption? And you refused it. And as we described last week, man, God's desire for humanity is salvation. That's what he wants for all of us. But we see that this judgment is going to come. And we see picture Jesus Christ's judgment upon, upon the humanity in the second coming in this, in this Joshua scripture. Acts 17.31 says this, Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Who is that man? Wherefore he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. He's saying there is the one. So though judgment is quickly approaching, the amazing thing about God is he's still offering mercy. He's still offering redemption to any and all who will call upon him. This is the coolest thing. So here we have, keep in mind that Joshua... He's, his judgment and what he's going to do here is going to ultimately lead to Achan's unmasking. Okay? It's going to reveal that Achan is a fake, that he's a liar. right? And what we understand is like this, this points to something that is altogether horrific, an unusually tragic truth that is in the church today, that's in the world today, which is those people who have convinced themselves that they are children of God. They've told themselves they are. But even though they've never truly given their heart to the Lord, they've never truly given Him their heart. And the tragic aspect of this is, there, is that their own ignorance will ultimately yield to what it will result in their life. Guys, the Lord has made the gospel available to this planet. For thousands and thousands of years, He has preserved His word, and we can read it, we can see it, we can be preached it. We've heard it from people's voices. People have been proclaiming the good news of the gospel for thousands and thousands of years. God's been trying to reach humanity. And the whole problem is the fact that we don't have ears to hear so many times. And as God's trying to reach the world, recognize He's done all the work. We don't have to do anything. There is no work to gain salvation. Jesus did the work on the cross. Right. All we have to do, it's a, it's a matter of faith. It's a simple thing. 
He made it very, very crystal clear in Scripture. John 14, 6, Jesus says this. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and life. If you had any questions of how it is you're going to get to heaven, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Are those good enough instructions for you guys? Some people are like, well, i got to find another way. Be a good person. That's got to be it. No. Right? Salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is a matter of faith. It is a matter of faith. Salvation is through faith and trusting in Him. There are no works for salvation. There is nothing we can do to earn it. And yet, there are people today trying to convince themselves that they are saved in spite of trusting Christ, who are trusting in their religious works, their service to their fellow man, or even their belief in God. And you go, whoa, what the, ha, what? Because recognize the fact that, listen, belief in God is not proof of salvation. The devil believes in God. Is he saved? Pretty sure that's a no, right? The Bible says that the demons tremble in the presence of God. They can quote scripture all day long. There are people that can quote Scripture all day long. They're the people that fear God, but guess what? They're still not saved because it's a matter of submitting one's heart, right? So there's one thing to believe intellectually who God is, and it's another thing to have trusted Christ as our Savior, putting our faith and trust in in Him. So this judgment that we're examining today, listen, it is going to be heartbreaking for those who are living under the guise of salvation maybe even understanding it intellectually, maybe even able to share it with someone else, to tell them about it, to read it, to point it out in the Scriptures, and to be able to explain and comprehend it completely, but having never personally received it. And that's a tragic story. But see, Jesus even talks about it Himself. In Matthew chapter number 7, listen to what He says. This is the Lord. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, Okay? So people that believe they're saved, right? They're going to call out, Lord, Lord. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Okay? And then we go, okay, so what is the will of the Father? Well, we know that because the Bible has told us clearly. God describes it as salvation of mankind. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, the Lord, who will have all men to be saved. That's His desire and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. They need the truth. Now what does the truth do? The praise, the praise God. John, John 8.32, Jesus tells us, what does the truth do? And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free from spiritual death, shame, and the penalty of sin, praise God. There is a penalty to sin. We're going to talk about it. So recognize the fact that we're set free from the penalty through the truth. But now listen as Jesus continues to talk to that religious group in Matthew 7, verse 22. Many will say to me, in that day. When you see that term, that day, that is pointing to the second coming of Christ. You will see it time and time and time again. That's a marker in Scripture. That day is pointing to the second coming. Many will say to me, in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name many wonderful works. You know what they're doing? They're making their case. They're standing before the judge and they're going, okay, hold on. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) 
look, I got to get this straight. You, You know who I am, right? All the amazing things that I've done. They're attempting to justify their salvation that was, and they're trying to prove it with their religious acts. All done in Jesus' name, by the way. Remember that? Notice how he says, these things done in my name. Listen, I was raised in church. My dad was a pastor, for goodness sakes. I used to play the piano at the church. I kept records. I, I mean, I was a good Christian. I was one of those people that people would look to. In my own family, the people that knew me, they would have said, hey, you know what? You're an example to follow. Right now, today, I could get you 20 witnesses. I could line them up here and they could prove to you that I'm a Christian. I'm telling you. Right? Isn't that what this person's saying? Lord, Lord, did we not? They're begging their case. What does he say? And then, will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Okay? Now, all the things they did in Jesus' name, and look what he says about it. Ye that work iniquity. You did things in my name and you claimed it to be the work of God. In reality, it was not. You and I never had a personal relationship. We may have had a ceremonial religious relationship, but I never got your heart. And all those things that you did, that you put my name on, guess what? They weren't done for me. And they weren't done in the power of God because you have to possess my spirit in order to do things righteous. So what you did was fueled by your flesh. And you know what? The flesh just has the ability to do? Mimic righteousness. But it cannot perform righteousness. What do we find out? He said he said, it only yields iniquity because Jesus just pointed out. But see, listen to what Paul says in Romans 7, 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, here's the qualifier, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Man, here's the struggle. So the Lord explains the difference now. He's going to kind of try to lay us out. So he's told us, this is what's going to happen. This is how I'm going to respond. Now listen to this part here. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which buildeth his house upon a rock. Okay? He's telling the listener, listen, if you'll put your faith and trust in me, guess what? You can establish your eternity on the rock. And guess who the rock is? The rock is me, right? That's me. Remember that Joshua is a picture of Jesus Christ. We're pictured in the Israelites. And what's so cool is the fact that God, remember, I've told you guys in the past, the Old Testament is the picture book. It's the picture book where we go and find our physical examples. We see these things we can visualize. And then we have the principle taught in the New Testament. So when Paul's going to teach the principle, what does he do? He's going to go back to the Old Testament. He's going to go to the book of Exodus. And what happens in 1 Corinthians 10, this is a recounting of the Exodus story. And when you reach number verse number four, he says this, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. He's talking about the rock in the wilderness that Moses struck. For they drank of that spiritual rock, capitalized, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Your picture in the Old Testament, here it is. And listen, we put our faith in him and drink of that spiritual rock, which is Christ. We establish our foundation on the rock, right? Verse 25, he continues. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. He says, this one's on the, it's founded on the rock. It's on a foundation that's strong and steady, and it will not fall. That's the most amazing thing. So we find our assurance not in our religiosity, but in our faith. Not in our works. Because recognize the fact that storms are going to come. How many have figured that out in life so far? Yeah, guess what? They're just always rolling in, right? You can hear them rumbling in the distance. They're either going off or they're on their way. So storms are going to come. 
And how we weather these storms will all be dependent upon where we have found it ourselves. Where is our foundation? Right? Then Jesus continues, talking about that religious crowd, the ones that have founded their, their foundation is on themselves. Verse 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The sad reality is many people that we know, that will be their story. Great was the fall of it and that'll be their life. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be their story. They just have to redirect their foundation, right? So we see here. So as we look closer and closer to Achan, what we need to do is ask ourselves, where have I established my foundation? Have I built it on the sand where it's unstable and shaky and I'm always wondering what the future holds or am I solidly solidly placed myself on the rock? It's a choice. Achan is a cautionary tale, not only to the Israelites, but a cautionary tale to us as well. Because recognize, he looked the part. He blended in with everybody else. He looked just like the other guys in the army. He faithfully attended every battle. He was there with a sword in hand. He was a part of the army. The only problem was he did not do what he did out of surrender to God. He did it in subtlety and service to himself. Right? This is the issue. It all comes down to that issue of self. But all that's about to come to an end. Because our second point is the spotlight is narrowed. Verse 16 says, And brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah, and he took the family of the Zerites. And he brought the family of the Zerites man by man, and Zabdi was taken, and he brought his household man by man. Now take notice of the process that's kind of taking place here. Notice that there's a rhythm or a pattern to the wording. It says brought, then it will say then taken or took. So we see what's being pictured here. They're being brought. Now the tribe of Judah is being brought, right? Now the tribe of Judah, if you're going, because I'm a kind of person, I'm always trying to visualize that, right? I'm sitting there going, okay, what would it be like for the tribe of Judah to walk up? Is that like 60 guys, 75 guys, 110 guys? I don't know how many guys it is, but it's probably a bunch of guys. And I'm like, well, how do we know? Well, the Bible tells us back in Numbers chapter 2, verse 9, 40 years before this, listen to the numbers. All that were numbered in the camp of Judah were 100,000 and fourscore thousand and 6,000 and 400 throughout their armies. These shall first set forth. That's 186,400 men. Dang, son. That's a bunch of people. 186,400 people. We go, wow. Now, the number may have gone up. It may have gone down. We don't really know. So we know that it's not 50 guys or 100 guys. This is thousands and thousands of people. To give you an idea, Panther Stadium holds 75,412 people if it's maxed out. That's 186,000 people. So here we have this massive group of people, and you notice that it keeps saying brought, take, brought, take. What it means is they're going to come forward. He's going to select one by name, the leader of that group. Everyone else falls back. That group steps forward. He selects the next one. The next group falls back. That group step falls back. So what happens is it's slowly but surely, what we're seeing here is they're getting smaller and smaller. Less and less people to hide behind. Right? Less and less anonymity. The spotlight narrows, man. The news is tightening around his neck. And listen, can I tell you that, man, on that day for us, when we stand before the Lord, think about it. If we've never trusted Christ, 
There is going to come a day, man. If you've been playing the game, blending in with the crowd, God's going to wipe away and all those people are going to fall back. And the truth is going to be real, man. The jig is going to be up. And the truth will finally be heard. And see, we know in our own hearts where we stand. We have to be honest with ourselves and honest with God. Because the guilty, number three, will be identified. Verse 18 says this, And he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. So Achan is now selected by name. <gasps> so the whole crowd's like, Whoa! Right? Imagine, they've been wondering all this time, who is it? Who is it? Oh, is it you? Is it you? They're all looking around. And all of a sudden, boom, boom, group gets smaller, 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 smaller. And finally Joshua goes, Achan. And everybody just gasps. Whoa. Finally, everybody knows the truth. Here it is. And I can look at all the suffering. That they've, that they've experienced. We can think about all the families that have been destroyed, the lives that have been lost, the confusion that they've experienced, the pain, the fear that they've been living with, all of this, all because of Achan's one selfish choice. They trusted him. Look at all the trouble that he's brought into their lives, and they trusted him to be who he said that he was. And we think about it and we go, wow, how selfish. But you know, Achan's not the only one who's ever fallen prey to his flesh. Y'all know that, right? <laughs> think about King David a man after God's own heart but because he followed his flesh he found himself in the arms of a woman that wasn't his wife and actually ended up having her husband killed murder and incest or not incest what do you call it fornication adultery right horrific sin we think about Samson Samson who was a man who God had created for a special role but Samson just could not let go of his flesh and you know what he did he, knew, he did exactly what he knew he was not supposed to do and the destruction in his family was unbelievable. But if it wasn't so heinous, I mean, that, those are big ones. And we go, yeah. But think about it. What if it's something simple? Like just a simple choice. Like a piece of fruit. In the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve. That's a pretty innocuous thing. Wrong piece of fruit. Like, whoa. And yet... The destruction that is rippled through all of humanity from that day forward Amen. because of a, of a choice, right? And so it comes down to this. Recognize, sin, in no matter whatever form it takes, heinous or innocuous, it's just a choice. It is a choice. And the issue is the fact that, you know what? Achan stands guilty before Joshua and the people right now. And what this does, it should remind us of. That, listen, we're no better than him. We are no better than him. Achan has struggled with his flesh. And guess what, people? We struggle with ourselves. Our set, our, our, whatever, what am I trying to say? Flesh. flesh. There you go. I was, another word was coming out. I don't know why that was. <laughs> I didn't get a lot of sleep. I apologize. But the point is this. As we're addressing this issue, and, and we're struggling with the same thing he struggles with. What happens many times with us is we have a real uh, a tough time looking at ourselves. It's very easy for us to hold other people accountable, right? Very, very easy to recognize other people's failures, to be able to point out, man, you know what they deserve, especially if they've done something wrong to us. Then we're really, really good at being able to point it out. But for whatever reason, we love to kind of think that ours should be dismissed. But you know what? Because I had a good reason for what I did. And so many times what happens is we want to judge people based upon their actions 
but we want others to judge us based upon our motives, right? Because we see within ourselves and we go, oh, well, I mean, makes sense why I did that. We don't give people the benefit of the doubt. We sometimes jump the gun and we attack. And so many times understand the fact that, listen, our flesh is the struggle. It's this issue of the fact that we've got to be willing to look within ourselves. Because what it's showing us is, guess what? When it comes to God and we stand before Him, there will be no excuses that will be good enough. There will be no escape. There will be no escaping accountability with God. We will all stand before Him. If you're a born-again child of God, we'll stand accountable for the life that we lived for Him. But if you're not a child of God, you will stand accountable to God for the sins of your life. Every single one. Listen, if you're saved today, praise the Lord. Christ took, took the very thing. There was a penalty that the law required that had to be paid. And Jesus stepped in and paid the price. He would willingly offer his life on our behalf. But if we don't receive that gift, then we pay the price ourselves. Right? Understand the fact that, listen, this knowledge of what Christ did for us, it should convict us. It should convict us of who we are. It should convict us of our, our relationship with Him. It should be one of gratitude. It should be one of just incredible thanks. And it also should allow us, to, or it should cause us to evaluate our service unto Him that so many times is very, very selfish. Because remember, God wants to use this life, use our lives to, get, to reach those that are on the road to damnation. There are people out there, it's not that they're worse than us, they just don't know. 20 years ago when I didn't know Christ, it wasn't like I was the worst guy in the neighborhood. I just didn't know who Christ was. I'd never been to church. I'd never had anybody share the gospel with me. I was ignorant of the truth. And someone cared enough to say, you know what, let me let you know. There is a day coming when you're going to stand accountable to God. And if you stand there accountable and you do it on your own, you're in big trouble, my friend. But there's a God who loves you. And I'm like, me? Me? He loves me? Why do you love me? I know what I've done. I know who I am. I don't deserve that. But for God's love the world. He sees beyond all of us. He loves us for who we can become. And that's the beautiful thing. And it's awesome. And God changed my life that night. But see, there's another aspect of this that I also want us to just touch on. Another aspect of humanity's accountability to God. Think about this. How many of us had someone in our life who has wronged us or hurt us in a horrible way? And they may appear to have gone unpunished. First of all, what we need to do is be praying for them. Right? Pray for God to redeem them. Because the cool thing is, if Christ redeems them, the monster that they were no longer exists. Right? God can redeem them. They can become a new creature. The God Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if, notice the wording, any man be in Christ. I don't care if they're the worst person who's ever lived. Genghis Khan, Adolf Hitler, whoever it is, any man be in Christ, they give their heart to Him, He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Listen, man, that's the most amazing news in the world. But listen, listen. What if you were one of those monsters? And God redeemed you. It's time to leave the pain of that past behind. It's time to embrace who Christ 
gave himself for you to become. God has a purpose and a plan for us. But for those monsters who will reject the Lord, they will not escape. Not only will they be identified, but they will be called out by name, by their creator. And they will face justice at Almighty God's hand. Revelations 21.8 says this, But the fearful and the unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, keep in mind, yes, boy, that list has some really awful and heinous crimes. But did you notice it also has the fearful, the unbelieving, and all liars? Ouch! How many of us have struggled with some of these issues, maybe even today? Amen. Right? And what does this do? This tells us. It's telling you, guess what? No matter who we are, if you are not a born-again child of God and have a relationship with Him, you will face damnation just like the worst of the worst. The liar and the whoremonger, they'll all be hot side by side. And there'll be no religious cloak. There'll be no ceremony. There'll be no facade that we can hide behind. God is going to see through it through it all. Only the blood of Christ. Because when we stand before the Lord, just like Achan standing here before Joshua with the people all looking on, we too will either be a witness of or based upon our relationship with Christ, perhaps a terrified participant in deception being confronted. Verse 19. Joshua said to Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. Achan has nowhere to hide. He's got no one to blame but himself. And in this moment, standing at the judgment, listen, it's, it's, it's at this moment that Achan now understands, listen, for the first time, understands, appreciates, fears the power of of God. Now he does. But it's too late. It's too late. Remember, God offered the day before an opportunity for repentance. What did he say the day before? Joshua 7:13, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. There's a day coming when there will be no more chance for you. You've got chance right now. Get sanctified, get right, get right with me. Let, lay it out. Achan, here's your chance. Not a word. And now, the time, it's too late. That was his last chance. Because when the morning comes, it's time for judgment. And so Achan, listen, he had a chance to confess and he chose not to. But now that choice is no longer his. He stands accountable to not only Joshua who's speaking to him, but ultimately to his creator. And what we see here in this mind-numbing moment for this poor, poor man is the very same thing that countless people on this earth are going to experience if they don't turn to the Lord. <laughs> Not because they're worse than anybody else. Not because of any other reason like that. Simply because they have rejected God's gift of salvation. He offers it to the world lovingly, caringly. And this should break our hearts 
It should break our hearts for people we know, people we love, people we care about, strangers. I can guarantee you it breaks God's heart. I know it does. See, just like God is a merciful God, which he most absolutely is. Think about it. Remember, he gave Achan that night. He gave him a chance. He didn't take it. But just like he is a merciful God, he is a God of of justice. Musical accompaniment. Awesome. (laughs) He's a God of justice. Okay? Now, notice this. A God of justice. And we think about that and we go, okay, justice. But, I mean, is that really fair? I mean, couldn't you give the guy one more shot? I mean, doesn't, couldn't you just, just this one time? I wanted to give you a scenario. Let's say the person that you love the most in this world, you're away on a trip. Someone breaks into your home, takes that person that you love, abuses them, tortures them, murders them. They, they get away. Two years later. Now, do you feel like the person you love deserves justice? Absolutely. Two years later, they catch the person. They got video. They caught him, man. He's hook, line, and sinker. DNA evidence. He's the one. And he comes in and he says, you know what? I'm guilty. But I want to I wanna plead my case. Because I want to tell you, in the last two years that I've been on the run, I've really straightened myself out. Man, I'm really, really sorry about your loved one. I really, really am. And it breaks my heart. And and I put together a book, a scrapbook of all the things I've done over the last two years. You won't believe all the places I've worked and the things that I've done. My whole life's been turned around. It's amazing. I live a life of service now. I'm this really wonderful guy. And the judge is like, what? (laughs) Well, case closed, buddy. Well done. Good job on turning your life around. Good luck. You're in the courtroom. Are you going, that's a good judge? Nope. You're going, what about the law, judge? He broke the law. He must answer to the law. God's a good judge. The law establishes that with sin, there is a debt that must be paid. And if it's not paid by Christ, it's paid by us. And this is the most amazing thing. That that very same judge who would pass judgment would step down from the... Whatever they said at. What does he sit at? Podium. Podium, sure. That sounds good. The judge place. <laughs> but he comes down and he slips his robe. And he goes down to the prisoner. And he says, Here, you take this. I'll take the cuffs. What? Judge, you didn't do anything wrong. I know I didn't do any wrong. But somebody's got to pay. I'll go in your place. That's a picture of Christ. Where the guilty leave innocent. And the innocent die as the guilty. That's why he was born. To die. To make a way of escape for any that were willing. To trust him. Because judgment is coming for all of us. 
Will we be able to stand before him in confidence, knowing that we're a child of the king on that day? Or will we be terrified, hiding behind our religion, our works, our family name, praying that he doesn't see us? It won't work for Aiken. And it won't work for us. God sees it all. The last thing that Joshua says to Achan is this. Hide it not from me. Listen, if you've been hiding your sin or hiding behind your religion, can I tell you that God sees right through it? He's ready for you to stop playing games with the life that He's given you and live it for His glory. That's the purpose for it. If you're a child of God and you're messing with sin, you need to stop it now. And if you're not a child of God, you've been playing games, you've been playing Christian, you've been playing that you, you're, you're, you fooled all of us and we don't even know. It's time you get real with Him because as I said, judgment is going to come and God loves you and while that time of redemption is now, there is coming a day when it will be no longer about grace. It will be no longer about redemption. It will be a day of judgment and at that point in time, there is no more chance. It's done. God loves you right now. And what He needs us to do is search our hearts. Search our hearts and say, no more hiding. God loves us right where we are. He loves you right where you are. And He wants to see you thrive for His glory. Whether we do or not, it's up to us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for the word that you've given us. For, Lord, I know it's been difficult. It's been hard for me, and, Lord, I know that uh, you've called me to do it, and I'm just trying to be faithful. But with their heads bowed and their eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, look, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I am I'm in a fight right now, emotional, spiritual, I've got sin in my life maybe that I need to deal with. Look, nobody's looking around. This is an opportunity for you to be honest before God. And if you say, look, I'm struggling right now. I've got some issues in my heart in my life that I know I need to get right. God's convicted me today and I know I need to. I'm going to ask you. I'm only one looking and I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to say anything to you, but I'm going to ask you because I want to know. I want to pray for you specifically. If that's you, Lift your hand and say, look, you know what? I've got something I'm struggling with. Amen. I see that. Anyone? Amen. 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 And I'm going to pray for you, I promise. If you're here today and you say, look, I don't know where I stand with Christ. Maybe I've been playing games. Maybe I'm religious. I don't know what the story is. Guys, 20 years ago, I didn't know Jesus from a hole in the ground. But thank God someone told me the truth and I responded and it changed my life forever. And if he's calling your heart, you know he is. All you have to do is respond. So if you are one today and you say, you know what, if Christ was here today, if it was him standing at the front of the room and he lifted out his hands and he said he loved me and he was willing to receive me right now, I would receive him. If that's you today, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to say anything to you, but I ask you to raise your hand and say, look, that's me. If he was here today, I would receive him. He loves me and I know he does. Right now, God's calling my heart. Just lift it up. Pray for me that I'll receive Christ. Pray for me. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of your love. And I do pray for my brothers and sisters 
that are in the fight. God, I pray for you to fortify them, Lord, that they might surrender their will to you, Lord Jesus. You tell us to submit ourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from us. God, you give us power through surrender. Help us, Lord. Help all of us to surrender to your perfect will. For the one that's, uh, Lord, here saying, you know what, I, I don't know where I stand with you, God. I know I need to receive you, but I'm not sure even how. The wonderful thing is, God, you've made it so simple. It's a matter of the heart. The Bible says, For with a man believeth, with a heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You're listening to the heart of man. And Lord, if there's one here today that says, I do not know, I do not know the Lord, but I want to. God, I'm going to give them an opportunity to pray. With their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, Look, you know what? I don't, I don't know Christ, but I want to. I'm going to lead you in prayer, but I need you to know this. There is no magic in the prayer. There is no magic. This is not a ceremony. This is your heart speaking to God. And if he's calling you, you know it. All you have to do is respond. So when I lead you in prayer, you don't have to speak out loud. You can talk in your mind, in your heart. Let God hear you because I can promise you he's listening. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, repeat after me in your heart and mind. Speak to him. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I am so sorry for my sin. I believe that you died for me, that you were buried in a borrowed tomb, and you rose on the third day, proving you were God. I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, and to give me a home in heaven.